Welcome to the podcast that helps you build wealth and thrive in a world of out of control central banks and big governments. This is the Rebel Capitalist Show. Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. I want to remind everyone to check out rebelcapitalslive.com. We've got some incredible speakers. We've got Peter Schiff, Mike Maloney, Chris McIntosh, Lynn Alden, Brent Johnson, Jeff Snyder, just to name a few. You guys are going to want to check it out. It's here in about a month or so. You got to get your tickets now. It's at rebelcapitalslive.com. All right, let's get into your questions here. Let's see what we've got. Question, I started creating content. I've done a few live streams, which I'm making mistakes like not sharing my screen any advice <laughs> I, I, yeah i do that all the time but uh it, you just gotta make it a habit just the only advice i can give you is just keep doing it because that's the only way that you're gonna get better and and each video don't try to make it perfect or anything like that i mean obviously i'm far from perfect i make mistakes all the time just try to make each video just incrementally better and as long as you're doing that just keep doing it for six months and you're going to look back and say, oh, you know, now they're, they're not too bad considering where I started. So that would just be my, my best advice and check out the analytics. Make sure that you're looking at the retention rate, the click-through rate, all those things, because that's really what uh, makes up the algorithm. Everyone talks about the quote-unquote algorithm. Um, you know, YouTube just wants videos on the platform that are going to keep people engaged. So if your video is doing that, it's going to throw it out to, to more and more people. So just uh, congratulations on starting. That's the hardest part. Just make sure that you stick with it and don't get frustrated. And just learn that the only way that you're really going to, or just remember that the only way that you're going to really learn is by just making mistakes and getting it out there and just learning through trial and error. Okay, just bear with me, guys. Looking for another question. Uh, Pippa Malmgrim's an analyst of Russia. And uh, Russia's strategy is 100% wrong. Okay. I think it's still worth listening to. I started creating, okay, got that. Under Trump, did U.S. oil sales speed up the velocity too much? Example, more outside dollars brought back inside the U.S. instead of staying outside the main economy. Maybe, but we didn't really see inflation go up. By a, by a massive degree. I look at M2, I don't know that you'll see a big change as far as their trajectory of M2 growth in the United States when Trump took over. Uh, maybe there's an argument for that, 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 you know, that would be something that would bring in more dollars. But, uh, I, you know, there I just look at the trade deficit, right? Because if the trade deficit is still negative, or it, well, it's, assuming we saw a trade deficit, right? Uh, then that just means that there's more dollars leaving. Uh, there's, you know, we're, we're importing more than we export, even when you take that oil into equation. Why are short-term yields so high? Well, I don't know that that's the, the way to frame it. I think why are long-term yields so low? I think that would be what I'd focus on. You know, just a quick answer to your question. It's because the Fed has interest rates at 4.75%. So if the Fed has... Reverse repo at 4.8, it's got the discount window at five, let's say, then you have the option of either buying a short-term treasury or parking your money at the Fed or parking it in a money market fund that will go ahead and park it at the Fed. And so you you have options there. So you know, why would you park your money uh, or why would you buy a T-bill 
let's say if it was 2%, if you could just put your money in a money market fund and it was yielding 5%. So it, it creates competition at the short end of the curve. Now, there's a completely different question as to the collateral use and the demand there for one month, uh, three month T-bills. Uh, that, that's a different supply demand dynamic. But that's really why the, the Fed does, for the most part, control the front end of the curve. It's just the long end that it's more of the market forces that are taking over. Thoughts of drawing 152000 from a 401k New build and re, new build and relocate out of Illinois to Tennessee. Fifty nine and a half. Very concerned about devaluation, confiscation, retirement in the future. Well, I'm you know I, I don't I don't know your personal situation for it, so it's it's very tough for me to to really get, give you any advice. But I just know that you know I don't even know what the options are on the four hundred one k, and I don't know what you're referring to as far as new build. I think it would be wise to relocate. <laughs> uh, forget the financial stuff. Just get the hell out of Dodge as far as Illinois or any of those crazy states. But as far as being concerned about the devaluation of the dollar, I mean, I think that's a concern for the domestic dollars as far as devaluation against goods and services. Now, will that apply to dollars against other fiat currencies? You know, that, That's an, a completely different question. Confiscation of retirement money in the future, that would surprise me, but I think they could confiscate the money just through higher taxes. Maybe that's what you're referring to. So I'm not sure how you get around that one if you're an American citizen. So yeah, I think that's the only advice I can really give you because I just don't know any of these other factors that would be really important for me to even say, if I was in your position, I would do X, Y, and Z. Other than just very simply, get the hell out of Illinois. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out of control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. What if China begins requiring that all trade with China and Chinese businesses be transact, transacted in digital yuan instead of U.S. dollars? I think the probability of this is very low. I mean, what you're asking is, would the dollar implode? And the answer is no. So pretty pretty simple answer. If you, if you want more detail, I did a, a uh, I'll actually probably do a whiteboard video on this this week because I know a lot of people are talking about the BRICS starting a new currency and is this the end of the dollar, the dollar is going to implode and all these dollars are going to come flooding back to the United States because they're no longer needed for global trade and yada, yada, yada. Um, this, this is very, I think what would be a nice way to say, talk about the, or to explain that narrative. It's a very shallow, the, uh, the thinking involved with that narrative is incredibly shallow.
Uh, why? Because how were these dollars outside? Let's say that uh, there's dollars that would have been used, say, outside of the United States that would have been used for transacting with the Chinese. Okay, well, how were those dollars created? They're not green pieces of paper. They were loaned into existence, right? So let's just say that there's $50 trillion on the asset side of the balance sheet in aggregate total outside of the United States. That $50 trillion could come flooding back in. That's the narrative, right? Okay, well, there's also $50 trillion plus interest in debt that created that $50 trillion. Okay, so let's just say that that entrepreneur or that corporation no longer needs those dollars that are on their balance sheet. Okay, great. Well, what are they going to do? They've still got that debt, so they're most likely going to pay down the debt. And if they pay down the debt, what happens to the amount of dollars in circulation? It decreases. And you say, okay, Georgia, what if they don't pay off the debt? Okay, well, then their bank goes bust, and anyone that had dollar deposits with that bank, now that money's completely gone. You say, okay, well, what if they choose not to pay it off immediately and they buy assets in the United States because they don't want those dollars anymore because they're hot potatoes? Okay, fine. Well, then they buy real estate in the United States, and that person takes those dollars, pays off their debt, and that decreases the amount of dollars. <laughs> so you can just go around and around and around and around. Uh, but the people who talk about the, the, the dollar imploding or whatever, they're, they're only looking at the ass, asset side of the balance sheet. They're not looking at the liability side of the balance sheet. That's why I say it's kind of shallow thinking. Uh, you got to realize that the majority of dollars, the majority of fiat currency out there is, is loaned into existence, which creates more demand for that currency in the future, especially if velocity slows down. So you say, okay, George, well, how do you get a Turkey? How do you get an Argentina? How do you get this type of inflation or loss of purchasing power relative to other fiat currencies then? Well, then there's, a, there's two more ways to create currency units, right? If the central bank does it by, let's say, monetizing the debt, and then they're buying debt from the private sector, which increases the amount of currency units, or, or what, and, and that would be applicable to any bank. So just the central bank or a bank like Goldman Sachs, as an example, buying from non-bank entities, that increases M2 money supply as well, or the government just quite literally printing new green pieces of paper like they did in 1862 to fund the Civil War, which was the when they implemented the Legal Tender Act, which had nothing to do with the central bank. We didn't have a central bank back then. It's just the government literally printing green pieces of paper, printing M2 money supply. Uh, that's another way to do it, right? So then you've got to say, okay, well, how is that going to happen in the United States? Maybe it will, but then let's just say they print $10 trillion right, of green pieces of paper and just do a helicopter drop. Okay, well, how do those dollars get outside the United States? Well, George, we have these huge trade deficits. Okay, let's say they're $100 billion a month. That's $1.2 trillion a year, all right? Let's think about what the global economy is, $104 trillion in GDP. And then how many of those transactions are settled in dollars? Let's say 60%. Okay, you got 60 or 65 trillion that are settled in dollars. So that means there's at least 100 trillion on the balance sheets of when you consider the banking entities and the non-banking entities in the, the global economy. All right, so then you've got a trillion dollars a year. Let's say you've got 2%. All right, well, if the economy slows down, the global economy, that means more fewer currency units are going to be lent into existence, more loans being paid off. So even though a trillion dollars is getting outside the United States, the amount of dollars in aggregate total that are circulating are actually going down. So I'm not saying that you're not going to have inflation in the United States. That's a completely different topic. 
because you got to look at the United States domestic dollar and the supply demand, the supply of stuff. Uh, and then you've got to look at the supply of dollars relative to global denominated debt. And then you got to look at that as far as other fiat currencies to determine what the dollar is going to do against those currencies. It's a much different question than what's the dollar going to do relative to goods and services in the United States. And that's that's the the nuance that's just kind of missing with that argument. Now, I could give you uh, a few different ways that the dollar could go down uh, on the DXY against other fiat currencies, but that would require the that would require the global economy to really heat up and the velocity of those dollars to go up dramatically. It would it would require the other global central banks to continue to increase interest rates and the United States taking their interest rates down to zero. And this is in the face of potentially a global uh, economic recession or depression. And although short-term, I could definitely see that. Long-term, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. And then the question becomes, okay, well, George, how far down does the dollar go? It's at 100 now, 90, 80, 70. Okay, well, it could lose 30%, and that still takes us right back to where we were in 2011. So, and last time I checked, the dollar was still the reserve currency in 2011, right? So, so why? And would it go down much more than that? It would be tough. It would be tough. That that's I think what you're getting at with that question. Uh, you know, again, can the dollar go down, or I think it will go down versus goods and services? Will it go down against other currencies? Maybe. Uh, my base case is it will not go down that much if it does at all over the next year. And uh, does it get down to? 70 or lower uh there's always a possibility but in the next few years i think the probability of that is is pretty darn low especially if you believe that we're going to go into a global recession because in that scenario that's actually dollar bullish do you think job mandate for non-americans will be lifted before i mean i can't believe it's still lifted or it's still it has not yet been lifted I mean, it's just the fact that there's still uh, a requirement for the medicine is, it's just simply unbelievable. It obviously makes no sense. I don't even think it makes sense from a political standpoint. It's almost like they just have that rule in place and no, even the Democrats don't really still want it, but, and it's not really politically expedient. It's just more like they forgot about it. It's kind of like, Oh, we got all you know. We got Trump going to jail. We've got the the Chinese spy balloon. We've got the banking failures. We got all these things to juggle here, and it's like that just kind of went on the back burner. And Joe Biden and the team is like, oh, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. We still have that stupid vaccine mandate. Oh yeah, we got to get rid of that. <laughs> that's like the only way that I can explain it. I I, I don't. It's unbelievable to a point of being bizarre. So, uh, yeah, and I don't spend much time in the United States anymore, so I, I don't know, but I would just kind of Google it and go from there. What are the factors from outside the U.S. that undermined to some small or, undermined to some small or large degree if the U.S.'s agility to slow and reverse inflation? Not sure I follow this one. Undermine. I think you're trying to say determine. The U.S. that determine to some small or large degree the U.S.'s agility to slow or reverse inflation. Where do we start? I mean, there, there's so many factors right there. I mean, obviously, commodity prices. So all the variables that go into commodity prices. Also, 
just what we were talking about with the U.S. dollar. You know, what are these global banks in the euro dollar system doing? Is the economy, is the global economy really starting to heat up, get a lot of velocity? For those banks are really starting to lend and create more and more and more dollars, enough dollars to you know come back into the United States because we're the cleanest dirty shirt, and therefore those dollars start circulating here. Do we get into a war with China and they say, okay, no more goods for you, and that would boost prices? I mean, there's just so many things that go into it, but I would say the majority of the factors, although there's almost an infinite number of them come right here from the US domestic, you know, because it's it's all about supply and demand. So to a certain degree, the US and the US banks more so determine the amount of currency units circulating in the US economy, not globally, but in the US economy. So then it's just simply equation between, you know, what's going on with that number and what's going on with the amount of goods and services. And I think the amount of goods and services providing that we're not in a war would be a constant unless they do something stupid like a climate change lockdown or, you know, barring any just insane regulations. I would say that although there is some fluctuation that that, that's pretty darn stable as far as the access to goods and services. So there's just a question of what's going on with, with M1 and M2 money supply and what's going on with velocity due to transfer payments. You know, is the government issuing a ton of debt deficit spending to take from savers and give to spenders, increasing that velocity. So there's, uh, you know, more dollars that are circulating at high speed, chasing goods and services. Then there's, uh, the employment, although I, I, I don't really think that goes into it too much. And, you know, people say that there's, uh, this, the, the wage price spiral, I think maybe that applies short term, I don't think it's really a long term driver. So anyway, I guess my answer is inside and outside, there's just uh, thousands of variables that would go into it outside probably the biggest one would be commodity prices, uh, war acts, therefore access to goods and services that we don't produce. And then uh, domestically, it would be, you know, what are we doing with the money supply? And then what's going on with the velocity of that money? Is it going from low velocity? i.e. in savings accounts, to high velocity in checking accounts of lower income individuals that are going to be spending it very, very quickly. And then, you know, what's going on with the regulatory environment here in the U.S.? If the Fed is getting the money from money market funds through reverse repo, is that not a purposeful intent? Uh, consolidate those dollars for converting into CBDC? No, because it's just those reserves would have been on a liability of the Fed's balance sheet anyway. And basically, it's already kind of a, a CBDC from that standpoint. But that that really wouldn't be an account that was set up with an individual. So not really. Because uh, I think my final answer is going to be because those bank reserves that go down into the reverse repo were already a liability on the Fed's balance sheet. They were just a, a liability in the, the bank reserve column. And they just go down to the reverse repo column. Not a real big change. All right, guys, I'm going to leave it there. I got to shoot over to a mastermind live stream and then do a Rebel Capitalist Pro live stream. So let me do some quick shout out. That Actually, I'm running late here, so I'm going to have to leave it at that. Guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market, capitalism. Check out rebelcapitalistlive.com. Get your tickets ASAP. I'll see you in the next video. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Capitalist Show. For more content like this, Check out the Rebel Capitalist blog at georgegammon.com or go to the George Gammon YouTube channel.